What's going on, everybody? Thanks for checking out the podcast here at Outbound Squad. We're on a mission to help reps turn complete strangers into paying customers. I'm Ethan Parker. I head up our individual coaching program and VP of sales at Outbound Squad. And in this episode, this is an interview that I did for another podcast, the Talent Intelligent Podcast with Alan McFadden as the host. And in this episode, we dig into... Um, how sales leaders and orgs can think about standing up a sales development motion, some common mistakes that get made, and how they can deliver a little bit better training. So if you're an SDR, an AE, and you're looking to book some more meetings, close bigger deals, and work on your outbound skill set, you're in the right place. And this particular episode, if you're a sales leader that is managing those SDRs and AEs that are doing prospecting activities, you should find this one pretty helpful and take away a few nuggets that you can use with your team to help book some more meetings and close some more deals. So without further ado, let's get to the show. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome along to episode 26 of the Talent Intelligent Podcast. My name is Alan McFadden, and I'm delighted to have with me today Ethan Parker, who is the VP of Sales over at the Outbound Squad. How are you, Ethan? Hey, Alan. I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm absolutely delighted to have you on, Ethan. As I said, I've been a massive fan of the Outbound Squad for a long time. I love your, your slogan, the turning complete strangers into paying customers. That's what drew me towards the podcast in the first place. But I'm super excited to talk to you about, we've had a few requests now about SDR teams, what's good, what's bad, how do we build the team? No better people to ask than yourself, but for people who don't know the Outbound Squad, and certainly yourself, could you just give us a little bit of your background in sales and then what brought you to the Outbound Squad? Yeah, um, I have only been in sales <laughs> my, my entire life. Uh, yeah. I did. Uh, I was going to college. I was going to be a corporate lawyer. Was when I wow. thought I was going to do when I was a kid because of what I saw on TV and you know lawyers and strategizing and making the deals and then going around and convincing and influencing. And um, I was like, oh, that looks really fun. And I'm I'm that's that's that seems like something I would like to do. And then I realized what they actually do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> at which point, uh, you know, it's when I got into sales. Um, so, you know, my first sales job was door to door. Um, I sold uh, Cutco knives. I don't know. It was very big in the U.S. I don't know if it's, it is over there yep. where you're at, but very, very expensive high end cutlery. And I made, you know, like 25 grand or so in the first summer that I was doing that 17 years old. And that's just entirely too much money to give a 17 year old kid in a three month yep. period. And I uh, developed some bad financial habits that I didn't figure out until much later in life. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, it gave me a taste for what was possible. And uh, I really liked being in control of my own income and you know, your own destiny, so to speak. And uh, I moved into um, kind of bigger B2B sales within uh, the fitness space initially. So I, I have a back, I used to own some gyms. I was, I've always been a entrepreneurial guy and a fitness guy. So I had had some gyms that I built and then uh, built like a consulting business on that and then got into um, tech sales within within that space. And then that brought me into SaaS. So yeah. been in um, enterprise SaaS sales for you know about the last 10 years now. And yeah. um, 
I left my last role as a VP of revenue to come on board with, with that, with Jason over at outbound squad, uh, full-time in August of last year. So fairly, you know, fairly recently, um, and, uh, you know, what we do at Outbound Squad is, you know, that's what we, uh, you, you said it for me, our mission is to help folks turn, you know, complete strangers into paying customers. So we focus on outbound sales training from, you know, top to bottom of funnel. Um, and I specifically head up our individual coaching program. So Outbound Squad for individuals. So these are reps that are looking to level up their outbound skill set and, uh, you know, make some more money doing what we do and, and make, make that a little bit less stressful too. Yeah. There's a lot of things we can do to you know, it's sales always gonna be a certain level of stress. There's a lot of things we can put in place to kind of, you know, lower that a bit and kind of make sure we still enjoy life, enjoy what we're doing and uh, make that, you know, a little bit easier on the day to day. So um, that's, you know, a little bit about me. That's yeah. what I, uh, that's what we do at Alpine Squad. I've, I've built numerous SDR and sales teams and, um, you know, looking forward to chatting about some of this with you. I think, Ethan, that's what really attracted me to asking um, you to come on as a, a guest today. I mean, you've got very similar backgrounds um, to... I mean, I was sporting background, but then moved into sales, kind of into recruitment sales, to be honest with you, fell into it, realised just how, again, probably similar to you, a little bit too money, too much money too soon, and made some mistakes. But again, it's that whole intrigue of being able to self-sustain money, you know, be able to make money that gives you options. And I love that about it. What the reason for me reaching out to you was, is I get a lot of people still, this is now my third SDR team, Similar to you, I joined Squishy Devon in August, but it's now the third team that I've grown scaled. And I get asked a lot, especially on this channel, Alan, what do you do with an underperforming SDR team? Or what do you do with um, a new SDR team that we're looking to build? And it always starts with skill set. And to me, there's a lot before that. You know, there's a lot of starting right at the start, which I'd love to get your opinion on, is I feel a lot of business leaders don't necessarily understand what they want from their SDR team. You know, and that can be a problem for new SDRs coming into a business. Sometimes I feel it's like the old-fashioned, here's the system we use, here's the people we go after, away you go. You know, it's not really understanding what they want to achieve. Do you find that a lot? I know you speak to a lot of people and you've done it in the past, but do you feel as though getting a methodology and identity for a SDR team is really important really early on? Yeah, I mean, you you nailed it. We could talk about skill sets and what makes a good SDR, but I mean, if those folks that you bring in aren't set up for success, um, you're going to run into a lot of a lot of challenges that could have been, you know, to 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 zoom out a little bit. If this is a kind of a new motion that someone's standing up, like you are no doubt going to run into some challenges and have to pivot learn and iterate and continue like you know that everyone like that's part of it um but before you know you go worrying about the perfect sdr you know the biggest thing that i see reps struggle with that come through you know an outbound squad and then reps i've worked with in the past is it's kind of just like they they look to hire somebody that's got the right attitude they have a good background they have success record and they just say like you said here you go get after it. And, um, it's kind of all on them. <laughs> and sometimes those folks do really well. The problem is it's very inconsistent. If yeah. you hire five people and do that, you might have one that crushes it and three that are really struggling and one that's kind of somewhere in the middle. And there's no, there's no common language. There's no repeatable success in place. And ultimately that ends up getting, you know, VPs fired and, uh, CEOs fired yeah. and things of that nature. And it's quite high stakes. Um, so, yeah, I, I see it. I, I think the more important thing to 
to talk about maybe in terms of preventing that is what needs to be in place yeah. before you even look to bring on an SDR. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. That's what I think about does, and what I know, see most. And I also feel that business owners sometimes when it isn't working, don't take it back to that early, early conversations. You know, I speak to numerous um, owners who say to me, we want our SDR team to be creating leads. You're like, right, I get that. But how they get there and what what is... I always feel like what is an external company think about you? I know when I go to events, I want people to know the SDR teams that we reach now are a solutions-driven SDR team. What's the message? How is it consistent? How I know we speak about nowadays research and personalization. But how do you actually coach and explain to an SDR why they do that? I think that's really, really important. And as we go forward, especially with teams, I think training plans and coaching plans going forward is something we get asked about a lot here when it comes to building new teams and taking it back to start. For me, I always give the advice of there needs to be a training program in place. There needs to be training before you let people loose on the phone and your prospective prospects, etc. But do you have a do you have any advice that you would give people who are looking to when you take it back to the start, really start training teams Obviously, I know you guys do that there. So it'd be nice to know what's the best bit of advice you could give business owners that are looking to train and coach their teams. Yeah, I think there's this is I have a two part answer here, Alan. So the biggest problem with coaching and training a team is that you don't have a baseline off of which you're coaching and training. Yeah. What I mean by that is most training is ad hoc. So you might get some product training, you might get some use case training, you might get some objection and uh, object, objection handling training, yeah. um, you know, email personalization tips and hacks and all these things like this. It's usually very ad hoc. Yeah. And then the rep goes and then practices alone on yeah. their prospect. And then they get some really inconsistent feedback here or there. You know, depending on the rep, the rep's the variable here because there's really good reps that know how to ask for help and they send in stuff to their manager and help them help them better, which they should you should be doing. If you're a rep listening to this and you want help, then go ask for it. Yeah. Um, but that's the typical cycle. And like, you know, the rain group did a big study. Um, 85 to 90 percent of sales training, internal and external, has no lasting impact after 120 days. Yep. And that's actually how we kick off our sales calls most of the time. Class and we're selling sales training. They're like, whoa, what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, seems like counterintuitive, but because we take a different approach. But like one one big thing that like is needed is a playbook, a common language, some sort of framework that is the baseline of what expectations are, what type of messaging we're saying what type of framework or flow do our call scripts look like? Even if reps have some personality and autonomy and flair within that, we need a framework yeah. to operate from. And what that does is it allows the manager to be able to coach consistently because then we're not just, oh, okay, well, let's look at, let's listen to three calls this week and they'll send me some emails to review. Like, I guess that's better than nothing, but it, it just doesn't drive the result. But if we have from top to bottom, a playbook figured out of, even if it's an hypothesis and needs to be validated, oh, if we have a, a framework we're following, it makes the coaching and training much easier. 
So that's number one. And that's the piece that 99% of even big companies are missing. Like yeah. they have, they paid somebody like force management to come in a hundred grand and they have a hundred page PDF with personas over here and use cases over here and ICP stuff over here. And how the hell do I take this and put it in a cold email, right? Yeah. The pull through isn't there. Yeah. So needs to be a very simplified step-by-step -step playbook that maps that out and focuses more on less about all this information and more about tactically how you put this in the email, how you put this in a talk track, how do we as a company handle objections, et cetera. Yeah. So common language, common framework that folks have some flexibility within that needs to be in place. That makes your life as a manager easier yeah. to coach and train. And then like the next thing is oftentimes orgs put way too much focus on the individual rep not that they don't need to be coached and trained, but then a manager or, you know, if it's earlier stage, a director or a VP or whoever that's over these folks don't get any training on how to train them. And, you know, being a coach is not easy it's, yeah. and not everyone's just built for it. And a lot of times what happens is you have a, a seller that did a really good job. They have a good track record. They moved into a manager and now they're in a VP role, but they know how to do things, how they do things. And they don't, necessarily know how to coach and train around, you know, other people's tendencies, personalities, et cetera. Yep. Um, so I think more emphasis on the people that are doing the coaching and training and enabling them that starts with that playbook. But, um, you know, that's, that's a big ball that's dropped oftentimes on, you know, continued success. So, um, I threw a lot out there just now, I'll pause there, go a million different directions. But those Ethan, are kind of the top two things. Honestly, you're on the exact same wavelength as me. Anytime I go into a new team now, it needs to be, I set out a methodology and identity, but I talk to our team about four pillars of success. So what makes the four skill set? I can coach you. This is a baseline of what we expect to be excellent. And then from there, it makes it easier for me when I do... It's like you said, coaching is not for everybody. I genuinely enjoy it. I always set the guys past their training, which is initial, a framework where I always give them at least a minimum of an hour coaching one-to-one -one time. But then also, I always do group sessions. I feel that group sessions with people who are doing the same job, you pick a topic and then we work on it together. I feel as over the last three, four years, that's probably something I took as advice from a couple of coaches I learned from that, I get the most out of now, but also my team get a lot from it. So I think the point you make on framework is absolutely spot on. I think the thing even more so alarming is the part you said the second time. People think about training the staff. They don't think about training their managers. And that's something that gets missed a lot. I feel a lot of business owners I speak to never once say, who would you recommend that I get my managers to speak to? It's always... How would you recommend I fix the team? How do we know the manager isn't the problem to start with? You know, so I totally get that. I think the second part of that question that kind of leads me to is something I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on. You've been in sales probably the same amount of time as I have been, Ethan, now, and technology has came, came on so much. You guys speak to some great technology leaders inside your business. You were in the industry, so was I. I believe technology for new SDR teams or SDR teams that are failing needs to be thought out and strategized really well because I think technology, when it enables our teams to do well, is fantastic. But I've also seen some teams recently who are using too much technology 
and a lot of automation a lot of the time now that is causing them a lot more damage. So I always speak to people about it being your best friend or being your biggest enemy. I'd love to know your feelings on that. What do you think about technology in today's market? Yeah, I think there's some variables here around deal size and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for example, if you know you sell a product that's $5,000 a year, um, that probably does need to be more automated. If you're selling a product that's 30,000 plus, you know, that's probably needs to be more personalized. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think with technology now, I think about it. And I mean, this is how Jason and I run our business as well. And um, it, it like, you have to think, I think what people get in trouble with is they, they think so far down the line in terms of scale. Yeah, constantly. And so they bring on all this tech because they're thinking about 10 reps from now. Well, like before we worry about that, why don't we just like go from A to B before we try to jump from A to B? Um, so, you know, for example, if you have 10 reps, 15 reps, I mean, sales loft and outreach are, are probably, you know, the absolute best options for you in terms of a sales engagement platform. But if you have two reps, like that's kind of a lot to go through and set up and like try to deal with. It's, it's, um, it's kind of not built for small teams yeah. and like Apollo is right. Yeah. So not that Apollo can't work at a large scale, but it's very user-friendly, easy to set up and, you know, yeah. much more, much more like available to, to users. So anyway, core tech that I think is required is you need, you need a, you need a sales engagement platform. The number of companies that don't give their SDRs or AEs, a sales engagement platform blows my mind. Like yeah, if you have good processes in place, you can literally 3X overnight what type of results you're getting with a sales engagement platform. It is not about automation. Um, sequencing, cadencing, whatever platform you're using does not equal automation. Yeah. It is like automation of the activity in that it keeps you on track and you can automate some things like bumpy mails and things like that, that, sh that can be, but it just simply allows you to stay organized and like organize people by persona and, you know, just a whole, the list goes on. We can talk about why sales engagement platforms are great for hours, but you need a sales engagement platform. If your sellers don't have one, I would recommend Apollo.io. If you're a small team, if it's yeah. a big team, uh, check out sales or outreach. And then, you know, we need um, a data tool. We need a place that we're getting the information from. And this is super important. The better quality of data that you get, um, the more you're gonna have better connect rates, you're gonna you know, run into less people, you can't find emails, phone numbers for, et cetera. Yeah. And most of the teams are doing a really good job. I see have two data tools or more. Yeah. Um, so Zoom Info is you know, Kleenex, in my opinion. They're, they're gonna be more expensive. Sometimes very early stage companies it's hard for the hard pill for them to swallow, but it is certainly a good data source. Um, and then Apollo has a data tool I'm a fan of. I use that, me personally. Um, there's Lucia, Lead IQ, yeah. tons of tons of other like options you could pair up like with a Zoom info and then like a seamless or a Lucia or a Lead IQ or something of that nature. So sales engagement platform, data tool. Um, I'm not a big fan of parallel dialers, but uh, power dialer, you know, that is, um, I don't think a necessity. I think that people get like really infatuated about, about dialers. But for me, I'm not looking at 
how many dials can I make? I'm looking at like how many conversations can I have? And I'm going to optimize for that. So if you have to make 400 dials to have six conversations, like you have different problem. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, you know, like then, then just like needing to make more dials. Yeah. So um, that's an example to me of like tech that, you know, that's, it's, it's not necessarily something I would look at out the gate to build out. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, like, this is not really tech, but it's super inexpensive. And yeah. if most, like what we, what we did when I was at Alti sales, and I've seen other orgs do this is that for their SDRs, they have a team of like researchers that they're the ones that go in and they map accounts. They do some high level research based on what criteria you want. They load those people into sequences for you. They pull all the contact data, all that kind of stuff. I'm not even talking about like, you know, like uh, Ryan Reiser at phone ready leads where you validate those numbers too. Like that's a step further, but just, yeah. you know, you can pay folks in the Philippines and in that area, seven, 10 bucks an hour, which is like good pay there. And they're, they're happy to do that. And, and and they can eliminate so much extra work for the SDR. So if I'm standing up a team from scratch today, I want a sales engagement platform. I want two data tools and I want a research team yeah. that is streamlining that process. And I think that's kind of your MVP to get going. Yeah. And what, what's your thoughts on your programs? Like when you align marketing with sales, like your pal dots of the world, HubSpot, these types of things is, do you feel as though that's quite important for SDRs nowadays at the ACE? marketing delivering MQLs that they can then, especially when they're brought on, I see a lot of companies do this really well. Gong's great at it. You know, I, I see them do it a lot where they tell stories and then when the SDRs get to a certain score, it's easy for them to convert. Do you think that's something that is very valuable in today's market as well? Yeah, I mean, a good marketing function is always valuable. I, I guess I'm built a little bit differently. I've been a startup guy my whole career, oh. so I've <laughs> never ever seat where I've had MQLs or leads coming in. It's been hundred percent, go find it. Yeah. I did have one company that I did get leads in, but I honestly felt like the quality wasn't good. And I, I would prefer to just go after the accounts that I wanted to. So I'm wired a little bit differently, but absolutely a strong marketing motion that generates quality MQLs. Uh, I have a lot of folks in outbound squad. They get a lot of meetings that way. I think people like really fuck up that process a lot yeah. and like an MQL for granted, like, Oh, because they downloaded the white paper, they must want to chat. Like, like, no, like you, yeah, you still need quality messaging. You still yeah. need to be smart and offer any insights, et cetera, to get those people on a call. Um, so, you know, there's a difference in an MQL and a contact me, you know, right. um, lead. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, with HubSpot, I mean, I'm, we use HubSpot. I'm a big fan. Um, setting up, you know, for, for where that comes in to me is more about, Hey, if I, if I'm an AE, I reach out to these folks, we, we start a conversation, I open an opportunity and maybe a two weeks later I end up close losting it, bad timing, whatever. Those are perfect. So it could, should be sent over to marketing to put in a persona specific drip campaigns yeah. to have relevant content being dripped out to them over time. And at some point I'm going to re-engage or if they reach a certain scoring, as you mentioned, engage in that content, it should trigger that rep to reach back out again. Yeah. Um, if you are 
a rep that does not have that going for you, you can make your own in your sales engagement tool. You can create a sequence of, you know, one email every four weeks. It's just content you're sending out. Plain, written, sharing articles or this, that, and the other. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. Yeah. Stay top of mind. Uh, but yes, nurturing leads and, and sh- getting content and valuable insights in front of potential prospects is always valuable. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And it kind of leads me on to the kind of last point that I would like to talk to with you. And it's something that you could speak about all day, I genuinely believe, but KPIs is something that I feel a lot of businesses get wrong. And it's mostly because sometimes the data is just, you've said it a few times today about data. I feel sometimes people just pluck numbers from there or they will think, they don't really understand KPIs. So again, for me, asking the question, what would be the best bit of advice? Say, I know my beliefs on it, but what would your bit of advice be to our listeners today of, if you're thinking about setting KPIs for your team, what would be the first thing you'd be thinking about? Yeah, I mean, I would think about kind of the three key pillars to start with. So, you know, email. And within email, we have open rates and reply rates. Um, but reply rates, like positive reply rates is what I want to track. Yeah. So, um, you know, I can actually share. I have a I have a benchmarking guide we do from Outbound Squad for these metrics. So I'll, I'll share that. You can add it in the show notes. But um, you know, with with open rates, before you have any internal data, just for some benchmarks, right? Like you should have kind of a red, yellow, green in that. Like, hey, if it's below this number, you need to work on this. If it's yellow, it's like okay, maybe it's not the highest priority, but it's not fantastic. Let's look at some of the other metrics. And green is like, if we're here, we don't touch it. It's doing fantastic, right? Like, don't fix what ain't broken. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then so you know, so email open rates, positive reply rates. With phone, um, you know, we want to measure kind of two key things, and that's you know, pickup rates and then conversion rates. If you want to take your conversion rate a step further, you can break down your call into segments. So what we teach for a cold call talk track is, you know, your opener. And then the middle, that would be like, you know, a British Mace opener and a priority drop. That's how we teach it. And then the middle is question stacking, which we call the hook. And then you have the close. So we're going to leverage, we're going to summarize what we heard. We're going to leverage a custom story. We're going to book the meeting. So if you segment your, call dispositions in that way, you can actually start to gather meaningful data around like where in the cold call people are dropping off to. And then that's even deeper insights of what you can coach on. But as like day one, just simply connect rate and um, conversion rate. So how like meetings to conversations had, um, again, red, yellow, green there. Yeah. Um, and then sequencing, like the effectiveness of a sequence, I think is sometimes missed. Yeah. And so you know, we should be looking at like per sequence, how many folks you book in there versus put in there versus how many meetings you booked. Yeah. So that's another KPI you should look at. I do have numbers and suggestions on this, but I could to not be confusing. And oh, I can go into it if you no, just no. put it in the doc. Yeah. <laughs> no, listen, that'd be great. And like I said, I think, again, I've got my own beliefs and coaching strategies I use in KPIs. I always think the problem people have is, it's understanding that data, you know, it's understanding what you're looking to achieve from it. You're right. You could sometimes get bogged down in KPIs that don't mean anything. Like you said to me earlier, sometimes somebody can do a hundred dials, no problem, but if they're not getting any meetings, it doesn't mean anything. You know, I think there needs to be set strategy for KPIs. And if you can give the documents to me, that'd be great. It'd be good for me to, to be able to put for the listeners as well. If I think, listen, I think genuinely there's a reason I wanted you on today. I've got, 
a lot of beliefs at Mirror, you guys. Everything you spoke about today is what I believe is the core foundations of setting up a successful SDR team. My guys here are new into this experience with me over the last six months, but genuinely the feedback I get from a lot of the things you're saying today and from what I put them to to read in your squad is that they've never had the coaching like that. They've never had the set goal of what happens. And I think that's where, for me, it's just refreshing to hear a, a podcast like the Outbound Squad to just constantly give value. And that's the key part. So anybody that hasn't listened to the show, definitely get yourself over, listen to you and Jason, both really, really engaging. And honestly, I'm a big, big fan of the show. Um, so thank you for taking time to speak to me today. But lastly, Ethan, I always ask everybody for a bit of fun at the end of my podcast. Just if you could go back, you've clearly had an interesting career as well. Door-to-door sales for me, I wish I'd done it back in the day. Never did, but I'd have loved to have had a go at it. But interesting career. What would you give that younger person that was about to get around the chat doors? What would be the one bit of kind of advice you would give yourself if you could go back? Yeah. You want a you want a life advice or professional? <laughs> um, let's stick professional to be clean. It's probably good, Ethan. <laughs> I think um, something that's been really a big focus of mine uh, in the last couple of years of my career is to um, like reduce multitasking and like stay hyper focused on specific things through you know a time period. So I am someone that have always been very much jack of all trades. I learn things very fast. I can, I can, you know, pretty easily get to top 10% of like any category with a, with a reduced amount of time. So I just learn very fast and that's great. But then also um, it, 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 it becomes distracting. And um, so I, I think, you know, what I would give myself, my younger self advice was just like to not multitask as much to instead batch out, you know, batch out the focus and the work that you're doing really break down tasks into, you know, if it's research, like, well, how can that be broken down even more? And then like twofold is delegating the things that like, you're really not good at or that you hate. So, um, like I I've had a virtual assistant now for a while and it's like hands down, the biggest difference maker in my mind productivity and just like my mental bandwidth on a daily basis. So again, you can find virtual assistants on Upwork on wherever that are very inexpensive to us here or, or you over there in the UK, but you know, works very well for them where they're lo- located and they can make your life a ton easier. So when I was talking earlier about a rep, if you don't, if you, I mean, about a, a research team that companies have, if you're a rep and you don't have that, well, guess what? For like 400 bucks a month, you could pay for your own and that will 100% pay you back more than that, but, yeah. that you're spending on that. So I think just investing yourself, delegate what you're not good at yeah. and, uh, you know, stop multitasking as much. That's what I would tell myself if I could go back in time. Ethan, thank you so much for your time today. I really, really appreciate it. And MD hasn't checked out the Outbound Squad podcast and, As a business, I couldn't recommend it more. I will post the information into the episode for you. Thanks very much. Thank you.